On this episode, we're joined by my good friend, Roger Paradise from Couriers Flying Service for another episode, Lakeside, here on Moosehead Lake in Greenville, Maine. You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes, brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Well, welcome back to Water Flying. We are in. Greenville, Maine, once again, with my friend Roger Paradise from Couriers Flying Service. Couriers Flying Service is a historic 40-year-old flying service that operates numerous numerous historic seaplanes here on Moosehead Lake in Maine, and it is a must-visit destination for anyone that's a serious seaplane fan. It is synonymous. A lot of people have heard of it. A lot more people have heard about this than have been here, and that's why it's really important to sit down with Roger and talk about why this is such almost like a cult-like following at Couriers here uh, because it's so popular. So, Roger, uh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Steve. Welcome, welcome again to Courier. It's always great to have you here. Uh, I do not come to, to Greenville, as you've probably noticed, without coming here. Absolutely. <laughs> no, we're, we're happy to see you every year. We look forward to that. So, uh, it's nice inc- we can have a podcast right here from the seaplane base. It is. I mean, we're sitting here in the seaplane base, actually in the hangar. Uh, I wish you guys could see um, what we're looking at right now because we're actually looking at a very historic Cessna 195 uh, on floats uh, that they use here and uh, that I've had the good opportunity to fly over the years. So um, this really is a a unique setting. Yeah, this is um, November 145 Victor. It's our uh, movie star, we call it. It's blue and white Cessna 195, 19. Uh, 48 model. It's got a Jacobs R755. Yeah. Uh, makes 300 horsepower, and it's one of only a few on floats left in the world these days. So it's one of two we operate here. Um, Roger, so we call it the movie star because Roger and Sue spent a week in the production of a movie with it. Um, unfortunately, it never made it. Never off the made it room, on screen. On screen, <laughs> but they, they had a lot of fun with it, so that's how it's got its nickname. Yeah. But, uh, and I mean, just looking around, we've got uh, tractors and you can probably hear uh, some traffic and, and noise in the background. And that is because we are in uh, on location, but we have like half a dozen uh, skis uh, on the wall over there. We've got a Cessna 185 vertical stabilizer and tail over there. We've got a historic VW bug, a historic wooden boat. We've got a wooden fuselage. I don't even know what that airplane is hanging up there. Yeah, that was somebody gave that to Roger. I can't even tell you what that was. It's it's some type of uh, flying boat, whole whole aircraft, <laughs> seaplane. Um, they were going to throw it away. They had moved on to a different direction. He just thought it was very interesting. It's like a small widgeon fuselage, but yeah. a single person size. And uh, in here, we keep our spare parts and our you know our skis. We don't do a, to- a whole lot of winter flying it these days anymore, but uh, a little bit here and there. 
But yeah, well, we literally call these two hangers, and, and you have them signage signed now. The museum. Museum. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I wish you guys could be here. I wish we were actually recording video because it is a very unique uh, uh, scenario. We've got a 195 cowling over here, an old vintage Texaco sign. I mean, it's just great. We've got a radial engine over there just sitting on the tractor. There's a couple of them. Yeah, we use a, a radial engine as a counterweight on our tractor to pull the, pull the planes out, but it works pretty good. So. so it's all good. So, uh, Roger, I know you've uh, you had a big day of flying today. We've been going crazy as well all week. Um, but uh, it was really important to sit down with you and take the opportunity. I always like recording the podcast on location, and especially when the locations are so unique, so iconic, and uh, historic. I mean, this is, this is really a historic uh, uh, place here. So. Yeah, it's definitely a, a monument of Greenville, I'd say. It's... Um Roger and Sue Courier started Courier's Flying Service in 1982. They moved here from New Hampshire. Um, started out of their house. Uh, a few years later, they bought this, um, the, I guess, the property that we're on now. Uh, really one of the best places to keep airplanes on the co- on the cove of uh, Moosehead Lake. Protected. we get protected, very protected. Yeah. We are right on a brook here. Uh, we got the public boat launch right across the uh, stream from us. And that gives us a lot of protection from those big rollers that we see, you know. Which you can get. We uh, can get on East Cove. Oh, yeah. East Cove, I've seen waves breaking over the wall there. Yeah, for sure. It's, I've seen three and four foot waves out there. Yeah, I didn't want to exaggerate. I'm glad you're you're saying it. You're not exaggerating (laughs) at all. Um, Luckily, we're protected in there, but it gives us a great spot to, uh, to operate seaplanes out of. And we've, we've got a beach off the side we can pull, pull planes out of. Um, to bring up into our hangar here when we're doing our maintenance and, and inspections and whatnot. So we pretty self-sufficient right here. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about your background because you kind of took the path less traveled uh, in your career and uh, uh, you bring up a local knowledge, uh, which is quite honestly what I think Roger needed. I mean, Roger and I actually had a conversation. You might not even know this. Uh, so... Um, and I got to make sure I don't get choked up because I, this stuff is so dear to me and Roger was such a close friend. But we literally, we, we struggled. I said, you know, what are your succession plans when we knew that, that he was terminal? And um, we wanted to make sure that, that it went forward. And so Sue and Roger, and I spent a lot of time probably talking with Roger about where do we find Roger? <laughs> Yeah. You know, and I'm just so thrilled that we found or that he found you. I'm, I can't take any credit for any of that, but but <laughs> no, it's just such it, a, a we, great we, thing. We found each other. You know, we found each other as, as far as Roger and I and Sue, because I was in a point. Um, I had a great, great career uh, working in manufacturing before this. Uh, flying was always a passion of mine. I remember my first flight when I was 12 years old and uh, I had teachers that kind of pushed me towards towards aviation i remember taking uh, some some applied mathematics classes and you know working towards how we can figure aviation math and, and that kind of kind of stuff and uh, when i turned 18 2004 i started taking flying lessons and soloed that fall and it did take me a few years to finish up my license because i was going to college and I know there my, were other expenses there were other expenses my <laughs> mother i remember my parents talking to me about that saying really you're taking flying lessons you're going yeah. to school for something different so and look at me now so we're <laughs> flying so it was a good good time, good experience then but i flew a lot of years just for fun just a private pilot and once i kind of get settled in with my manufacturing career and working through there uh my wife and i you know i 
uh, we knew down the road I wanted to do some type of flying commercially and whatnot. So I got my commercial licenses, instrument rating, whatnot. I was just flying, flying for fun, but I had those, you know, on the side for a day, some point to retire and do that. A local friend or a mutual friend of Roger and I urged me to come up and talk to Roger. Mm -hmm. And I I called him the week before the fly-in, of course, not knowing how busy (laughs) he is during the fly-in. And I got Sue and I talked to her a little bit and she said, yeah, I'll give him, you know, I'll give him your number and he'll give you a call. He was out flying. So he did. He called me up and in Roger's normal <laughs> way. way, he said, well, we got the fly-in. We're busy. Why don't you come up the week after and we'll talk? And that mm-hmm. was it. So I said, okay. I remember my wife and I coming to the fly-in and spending some time there. And we were just, you know, as we always did. And it's like, geez, can you imagine a life that we're doing that? Yeah. You know, and uh, sitting downtown watching the in watching him fly over, Roger flying over. Because I had known, I grew up about an hour north of here, the next town north and jackman so always driving through greenville looking at the planes which ones does he have in this year the 195s in and whatnot and they've got a seaplane base in jackman, jackman as well and yep. for people not familiar it literally you could almost throw a stone to canada from jackman so. absolutely yeah <laughs> yep so uh we can i came up and talked to roger uh the week after i think he was a little surprised i actually showed up and we did that and we got talking a little bit and he was just as he used to say, I'm tired of flying eight days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, oh, must have been late 60s at the time. And uh, I offered to come up and help him pull out docks. I said, yeah, you know, that'd be fun. I, yeah. I work jacking camps up and closing camps and stuff like that. So I enjoy That's that. That's things stuff. you do here in uh, Maine yes, in the winter. We close them up for the winter, <laughs> so if you don't know. Uh, and we did that, and he was, you know, he was appreciative of it. And, uh, so I started flying a little bit the next the following year, just uh, the weekends that I would take. I'd take my weekends off from my manufacturing job and my vacation days, holidays, and such, and uh, worked out really well. I came into it with uh, some seaplane experience, but compared to Roger, you yeah, know, the mean, ink wasn't even dry on, on, the, on my certificate yeah. compared to the experience of somebody like he had. So I, and I told him that I said, I just want to learn, just tell me. And I think that that's what he would appreciate more yes. than anything. Yeah. Um, I'm under the philosophy. If it's not broke, don't fix it. It's, you know, it's, um, he had a system that worked and he's been flying, you know, he, he flew for 35, 40 years. I, I think he had 25,000 hours, 30,000 flight hours. Um, most of it's seaplane time. Most of it's seaplane time. Yes. And, uh, you know, why would you. Why would you even question anything he would say? So, and I, more Cessna one ninety five seaplane time than anyone else, probably anybody in the world. World yeah. period. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, without a doubt. So for sure. And I had the maintenance side. That was another thing. I had some maintenance experiment experience. I, I didn't have my AMP at the time, but Roger, when he found that out, he was like, "You need to get your AMP." Because if you're going to work here, you're going to need it. You're going to need it. You're a long way from anything. Exactly. As we sit here with me with a broken airplane. (laughs) Yes. And that's just the way it is. You're you're so far from anywhere. And, you know, there's not that many people that work on these these old radial engines anymore. And and even just a Cessna 195 on floats. You you have people that are 195 specialists. You have people that are float specialists. But then you put in between. Um, We actually run a different oil cooler on these that Roger had field approved back years ago because yeah. that was just something, you know, going you slower, to do. Yeah. you needed to do. 
Uh, so he, that, it, it kind of all the cards just fell, it fell in place for both of us. Cause I was at a point where I was ready for something different. And mm-hmm. when, when he, when he finally asked if I had interest to take this over after he had found out he was, he was sick. Um, you know, my, even at, I said, well, you know, I'd really like to, but I'd like, I probably something I should talk to my wife about and, <laughs> yeah. before, before I commit before both I, of us. Yeah. And she didn't even bat an eye. She said, what an opportunity. Oh, what an opportunity. Awesome. So here we are. I'm trying to keep things going as best I can. You know, I'll never fill and you're Rogers, doing a good job fill Roger's <laughs> shoes, but it's, uh, you know, we're just a, a cog in a wheel trying to keep this going, you know, for years. This seaplane base has been around for oh, almost 40 years now. And uh, we're seeing, unfortunately, seaplanes, you know, vanish. And that's one of the, the last main community things. is has really changed. I mean, it's still one of the healthiest communities in the United States in Maine as far as seaplanes. And, of course, the United States has the largest community, you know, United States and Canada are the two largest, uh, with Australia being a very distant third. But we're, we're seeing, we've seen a 30% per, uh, erosion of seaplane pilots nationwide uh, in the last 20 years. And even here in Maine, just in the last 10 years, I mean, there were like six seaplane schools. And the, the last one, Twitchell's, uh, just closed recently. And, yeah, and there's been it's a, too bad. You know, so we are seeing, and that's why, again, there were very serious discussions. We, we were very adamant. I know Roger wanted to make sure that, you know, this was preserved. Yeah. And, and again, from a Seaplane Pilots Association and my personal standpoint, it was the same thing. This is a historic, iconic part of Maine for me. It's a historic part of the seaplane community overall. And especially when you're operating beavers and, and most importantly, these 195s. Two of them. Two so, of them. Yeah. 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 Um, so I a hundred percent agree. Um, we, we do sell fuel occasionally here. We, we do ask you call ahead before you come, but we, we do that because we don't want to see another seaplane base, not offering fuel for straight floats. Yeah. You know, we know how hard that is. We'd never leave someone high and dry in any regard. Uh, and the same with, you know, with helping someone out. If they were stuck up here. That's just what you do in Northern Maine as well as I'm sure you've seen it across oh, the, yeah. the U.S. and in, in rural areas. You've got to help your neighbor, and that's just what we do here. Um, and we look to share, you know, seaplane experiences with people that have never even flown before a lot of times, Yeah. Uh, other than maybe some commercial flying. But So let's talk. Well, there's so many different things to talk about. So, I mean, we've learned a little bit about the back, your background or the, and the listeners have. Um, this place has been here for 40, so I think 1982 is when they got the property. That's correct. And that literally, uh, the, the 185s came like four years later or something like yeah, that? Yeah, the, the 180, Roger started with a Cessna 180. Uh-huh. Uh, he bought actually a PA-12 and then a, and a Cessna 180. Um, how he acquired the 195s is he was looking for something bigger than the 180. He just he was limited with, four, with you know four seats, which then is only three passengers. Uh, 206 was the the quick answer. The problem with the 206 was, you know, they have their quirks, mm-hmm. you know, opposite doors, flap issues when the you know opening doors and flaps are down. Um, and big thing that he he always told me was cost. Yeah, he's like, why a Cessna 195? He got looking at it, and it's a very similar at the time. At the time, we have to stress at, at the, the time. time. And, I, and I'm not even going to try to quote what the prices were, yeah. but he said at the time they were about half. The price, yeah. And today they're priceless. And today they're priceless, yeah. But um, 
you know, he looked at it, similar useful loads. The door problem carries over to the 195 because Mm -hmm. not only, at least in the 206, you have a door on either side. Yeah. The 195, the door is actually in the passenger's right hand side. Behind you. Behind (laughs) you. So there is a little bit of a a tiptoe to get out when you have it loaded with passengers. But you need to grab the dock. (laughs) And you need to grab the dock. The other thing is our docks are made to dock on the left-hand side. So it's a little tricky. With a north wind, it's easy. You can actually U-turn them right in. The cove in here is so tight. <laughs> it is tight. And you put, you're put putting your right wing out over the, uh, the head wall of the, of the pier. Yeah. And then your, your left wing is clearing the other planes. And you make a U-turn in there. And if you can have a dock hand, that's, that's the best way. Yeah. Uh, you just, you know, I've told many, and not that I'm, you know, I've been doing this for a few years now. I tell a lot of new pilots, don't ever be too proud to to have someone help you with yeah. a seaplane. There is, you'll just pay if you don't. You know, it scares me. I, I'm comfortable flying the beaver. The The thing that scares me the most about a beaver is the mass you have. Yes. And stopping it at the dock without hitting something else. Yeah. And in, that's in, the in biggest it, intimidation for me on the beaver. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny as I've from flying the beaver all summer i get used to it and i know where the points are and how in the the drift between the beaver and the 180 i got a friend of mine i have a super cub up here and i'm like i'll show him how to bring this thing into the dock you know how many times i get to use a paddle because <laughs> i pull power out way too early it stops Those, a lot sooner you don't have the mass sooner. next yeah, thing you know the wind's turning me around and i'm <laughs> This guy knows what he's doing, <laughs> but it, uh, you get used to flying. Luckily the planes are very similar. You know, the one ninety fives and the one eighties are the weights about the weights the size. about the same. The beaver is a big difference, you know, from yeah. the beaver to the one eighties, the biggest difference, but, uh, the one ninety fives fall somewhere in between Roger, you know, he always liked the one ninety fives to get, to get his pilots trained in those. If you can operate a one ninety five, the beaver is going to be uh, easy. easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah just it's just bigger yeah it gets off the water faster oh the the 195 it's longer i mean that's the biggest thing uh it's longer oh yeah it's uh (laughs) well it's got split flaps so you're not getting any anything from your flaps on takeoff imagine taking off in a 180 with no flaps if if anyone who operates a 180 uh take off with a 180 with no flaps on floats and uh that'll teach you similar to what a 195 is going to feel and like. And if you know what the the water run is on a loaded 180, you can just imagine what it is on a loaded, loaded 180. 185. Yeah, 195 without yeah. Fl- you know. Oh yeah. yeah. So it teaches Roger always said that it, it teaches a pilot patience. Yeah. Cuz if you uh if you try to rotate too early, you just touch your tails and then now you start the plane the plane laughs at you and you start over. <laughs> A nice thing about them, the radials, you don't usually have to worry about overheating issues, you know, with, with long runs like you would with a 185 or 206. Yeah. Or All the engines big, getting Yeah, up. yeah. So. so I enjoy that. So, I mean. You've this, got some experience in it. You've, yeah, yeah. So I love it. Uh, I, I fell in love with it immediately. And, of course, I like every airplane for its uniqueness. And the more unique the airplane, the more I typically love it. And so, uh, you know. The again the honor. So let's talk about the one ninety five. Says there's only I know of maybe six or seven that are flying on floats. Yeah, I believe there's um, Troy's. There's Troy's. There's a gentleman out in Montana, I believe, operating oh, commercially. Pete, Pete, Pete has one. You may know it. Yeah, yep, Pete has one. Uh, one in California. Okay. And then one in and Alaska then, that I don't know that has flown much on hood. There's okay. Another one. There's on one hood. on hood. Um, uh, and I there's do, one in Florida right now. Oh, no we kidding. have a supercharged one. 
in Florida that that's going was, to South America. Was that the one? It was a uh, um, Paul Paul Rasmussen yeah. owned one out of New York, I believe. Yep. That was turbocharged. Yep. Um, we got two of them. They're kind of rare. They uh, we got Edo thirty four thirty floats on them. Um, similar float that the two hundred six would have back in the day. Um, yeah, they're, they're they're great airplanes to fly. That. The only problem I always say flying them is you can't hear them fly by when you're in the inside of them hearing them go by because they do have kind of a slotted exhaust. At yeah. least at least these ones do. The turbocharged ones sound a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they have a zing to them, almost like a warbird. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm not gonna try to insult any P51 owners, but <laughs> but they do have that zing to them where where the beaver is more of a groan. Yeah, you know, they're they, they're of the radial. But uh, my wife laughs at me because I can hear an airplane coming down the lake, and I oh yeah, I know, know what exactly it what it is, <laughs> and yeah. I know usually which operator who it is. <laughs> we were at a out of house eating breakfast the other day with uh, Matt from Aeroset, and it was funny. And we had a um, uh, some guys from Canada, and they were telling us which prop was on the one eighty fives as they were flying by because they knew oh, the sound. Absolutely. Yeah, they yeah. could tell you the engine, the prop, everything, and and you do develop that. So, you know, some of the things that are unique. So you, you have the, the flap situation with the slotted flap. Um, you don't have struts, which is That's correct. No struts. It. So there's a carry-through spar, and there's, uh, there's, there's an AD on those. Most all of them have been updated. Uh, they've got a, there's a steel uh, uh, reinforcement that goes in there um, with them. I think the the big thing for for a lot of people that they would probably be surprised about is the windshield. <laughs> yeah, you can attest to that. Yeah, you, you've got a big round engine up front. Uh, it's very limited visibility. Uh, about a ten inch tall windshield. Yeah, we were talking we, we were about, talking that, about yeah. that earlier. So I tell people, people always get in the front seat, and uh, you know they they kind like, of how do you see? They, they kind of perch up, and how do you see over the front? And I said, nah, you don't really need to see that well. It, but uh, on takeoff, you know, I, I usually look off the side. You just yeah, get a peripheral, knack, for, yeah. you, you knack for it because it is rounded on the corner of the windshield. You get a little bit more view. But, yeah, when you, uh, when you add power and you start plowing to get up on To step, get up on, yeah. Yeah, you kind of have to make sure the cove is clear and uh, nothing out in front of you. Because you're not going to see it for a while. About 20 seconds, it, it, you're not going to see yeah, it. That's the thing. It's 20 seconds. It's not like you're going to be five seconds and then you're going to be up on step either. You, yeah. you sit back and relax for a little while. The other thing that's a little, you know, the, the Jacobs have the term shaky Jake. Um, so you kind of see that. That's, that can be unnerving yeah, for people seeing the cowl. You know, the cowl is, is attached to the engine, you know, so it, flo- it flexes with the yeah. engine mount. It's a little bit different for people to see who haven't, haven't experienced one. And, and then the roar and the vibrations coming. And then, you know, as you get up on step, it starts to smooth out. And then that, that breaking... Breaking free is always that, that great that's feeling. That's the magic we, moment. <laughs> that's the magic moment of, on seaplanes, yeah. So, so and it, th- this one's really quiet. This one inside is remarkably oh, quiet. Uh, for When you're flying a radio engine with a radio engine exhaust system, uh, this particular airplane is remarkably quiet. Yeah, and I think that attributes to, you know, Cessna's design. of It's a business liner, right? That yeah. was their their thought of the 195s. I don't think they ever planned on these things being operated <laughs> in the northern Maine wilderness or, or Alaska or wherever. But uh, very quiet, good insulation. Uh, yeah. The exhaust is kind of down below you in a way, uh, pulls it out. Um, so, yeah, we've, we actually... We don't even have intercoms in these ones. We usually yeah. can have a conversation. I think that was well. one of the biggest things that surprised me when I first started flying this airplane in particular was it is so quiet. You could literally sit in there and yeah. have a conversation. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, people are surprised. And then you get into Beaver, and that's, that's a whole different <laughs> that's story. That's a whole different story. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, they, they're a specialty, and, you know, we, we enjoy keeping them going. So uh, on top of these amazing historic airplanes, we were talking about the boats and the cars. Uh, Roger, literally his first vehicle was a Willys uh, Jeep, and yeah, it's Willys still M38, here. 1953 uh, M38, yeah. yeah. And he was literally driving that from the day when he bought it as his first vehicle till he stopped driving. Yeah, I used his, to see him driving it, it around we town. We used to take it to go get hot dogs down by the boat launch in town. Uh, yeah. The last summer he was you know, with us, we'd go to lunch in it, so... It's uh, still here as part of our museum. A uh, little history on the museum, how that started was years ago, people would stop in and be waiting for their flight or waiting, you know, they'd get here early or what. We'd try to get people here a little early so we're not waiting. Uh, and uh, they'd say, geez, we loved walking through your museum. And he'd kind of <laughs> be dumb, dumbfounded <laughs> a little bit. And, well, he's like, what do you mean? He thought, oh, the, the brown hangers, the museum's awesome. And it was just a collection of his, his stuff. belongings, his stuff. As oh, all the antique yeah. outboard motors. Yeah, and, and he had people donate. A lot of those are donations. They said, geez, you had a motor hanging there. I got one that would look cool. It would look great next to we'll it. Well, add it to the museum. We'll to it. <laughs> so, you know, when he found out he, when he was diagnosed with cancer and he wasn't going to be flying anymore, he took that on himself. They, they, they had initially told him he had three to five months, yeah. you know. And uh, that was a big shock. But in typical Roger fashion, he, he, he hung on, he, I think, for two more said, years. Or... It was about two and a half more yeah. years. Yeah. And he just said, oh, I'm not really ready. And I've got stuff to do. And one of those that he took on was to, uh, for, for one, to set Courier's Flying Service up to be, um, to be run, you know, continuously for on and on. Um, for, for Sue, his, his wife, to, uh, to still be here as long as she wants to. And then for, you know, for us to keep it going after that, the other big thing was the museum. That was his, his baby, his he, passion. He, his yeah. passion. I would go out on flights, Steve. And I'd be like, Roger, we'll move that engine. When I get back in here, here's a man in his seventies with, with cancer. And I get back at lunchtime and he's got it moved. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Roger, what are you doing? He's sitting back here in the back what of the hangar. What do you think hangar. I'm going to sit still? Yeah. That, well, you were busy. You've yeah. got <laughs> flights to do. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm flying a plane around Moosehead. You know, it's, I can give you a hand at, at lunchtime. It's, um, but, yeah, he, he really built that museum himself. Yeah. And, and I want to stress, while he was battling cancer Every, yeah. and, and in that late, in his 70s, uh, of all, the, all the hangings were hung, you know, him doing that. That's just the person he was and how strong he was, you know, in wanting to just – be busy right right through um so when you get in the museum it is not, it's not a um polished museum and i'm not saying anything bad about it's those rustic. things it's rustic <laughs> it's like it's real he left it yeah. you still smell the smells of the oils and the the um you know everything and everything there, that's yeah. in there so it's uh, stepping back in time. That's how we, we always say it. Yeah. People, a lot of people comment and say, geez, we stepped back in time when we went in there. If you want to have a great idea of what a working bush pilot hangar looked and smelled like. Yeah, uh, it, it felt like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it felt absolutely. Like it. 
Yeah. I mean, that's it. And, and it's great because you've got these clear doors on the hangar. So as people drive by on the road, they can see. And Troy, uh, I think, emulated these uh, yeah. because Troy did it well, down in Rising Sun. They, they give us in the winter. Now, there's uh, January. We don't have heat in here. So January, you don't Get work. Some heat. You do something different. Yeah. Just do something different in January. Go down to Florida, spend some time <laughs> down there. Late February, the sun starts to come in the right angle, and it heats this hangar. Late February, March, if you wait till 10 o'clock, from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock, you can work in here. Yeah, in that's just awesome. A, it, so they, they let the sun, the heat Yeah, in. in February, just to give you an idea, I mean, there's, the, oh, the yeah. lake is still frozen. The lake's frozen. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're talking two feet ice, uh, drifts six feet tall, eight feet tall, uh, snowmobiles going back and forth up the lake, 30, 40 mile an hour winds. But if that sun can cut through that clear door, the other thing that's great is, you know, I, like I remember when I told you when I was a kid driving by, you could still look in and say, oh, the planes are still in there smiling inside undercover and just waiting to go again. So yeah. you can see through, uh, see the planes just waiting to be flown again in the spring. Yeah, it's great stuff. So let's talk about, um, we've talked about your background a little bit. We've talked about, again, um, I, I, I just wish either we could capture it on video or number two that, you know, our listeners can come here and enjoy this if they haven't had the chance. Um, but what's it like? I mean, describe some of the the things that you see from the passengers that you fly. I mean, and you're doing different kinds of flights. Roger was doing flights for uh, inland fisheries and stuff like that. What, what are your missions like? Most of them are uh, flight scene. Yeah, so we've had to morph over the years, you know, and that's just, just the way the times change. You know, years ago, there was a lot of uh, contract work for IF&W, in, Inland Fisheries and Wildlife in, in the state of Maine, uh, doing either fish surveys, deer surveys, moose surveys, that kind of thing. Um, we don't do that now. They have their own air wing, um, so those those jobs aren't there. Then uh, they also had fire patrols years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to be able to go out and do fire patrols. So that's why Roger had, you know, three or four pilots working here at time to time. Uh, unfortunately, those have gone different ways. You know, now fire patrols, I think, are done a lot with satellites. And, you know, then if they suspect a hotspot, they just send the helicopter. It makes more sense. They can just drop a bag on it and go. Mm-hmm. So we've, we do, we are part 135 operation. So we do do some charter work. Um, but we, majority of our flying is actually scenic tours uh, around Moosehead Lake. Um, we have this, this gem of a lake in these mountains around us. Um, we have Mount Katahdin, Maine's tallest mountain, which is um, about 50 miles off of our, uh, out to our northeast. Uh, I was just out there before yeah, we got on this. That's where I was. You, and we were, you know, I got to take some, some folks from Pennsylvania around, and they couldn't get over that. And, they, you know, they had an appreciation for it because the Appalachian Trail goes right through their backyard. Yeah. And they got to see the peak where it ends, or the northern terminus, I should say. Some yeah. people go to south. But, uh, yeah, we, we have this beautiful lake that we get to share share with everybody. I see, you know, the best, I'm not going to say they're the best flights, but, yeah, well, maybe I will. They, <laughs> when, you, when you get a kid that, that is just, uh, this morning I got to have, I fly a kid that was just so intrigued by the beaver. He called it the beaver. And it was just, he was excited, and he actually got to go on it. And he's got his toy plane with him. And, you know, that was that kid's first flight, and I got to do that. You know, how... That just that's, that's just incredible. That's just incredible. The other things are a lot of people, you know, not many people. We fly all the time. We fly every day. We know how it works. A lot of people fly commercially or maybe not even, and they've never gone before. But they've, they, they can imagine the view, the bird's eye view from above. 
and to see those people get out of the plane after and say, we cannot (laughs) be back. We cannot wait to be back next year to do this again. I can't imagine this being your first seaplane flight because it's so beautiful and the lake. And when you get up just to a couple hundred feet, we came over. I mean, it was really good because I was doing some photography yesterday in uh, Telford's helicopter. And we came over the town and I, I finally got some photos that is our our pilot eyes view because yeah. you come over the town and you go oh, between yeah. the buildings you go between the buildings over over dockside and camp camp and yeah you're right over and you're the looking at the islands and the mountains and the lake in front of you and it's so hard to capture that in a plane number one because we're flying between two buildings but number two um because you just can't get that with the cowling and and yesterday flying the long ranger um yeah, i finally absolutely. got the shot i've been wanting to get yeah. for the longest time uh, which was great, but you know, I, the, what a great place to come take your first ride and, and remind me, I got to send you, we have some, uh, beautiful gold metal first seaplane flight wings that we give out. Oh, wow. So yeah, I'll send that you, be, I'll keep you stocked yeah, up with those. That too. would be great. That, that to me hits, hits the spot. Cause I rem, you know, I was as well, you do. And probably a lot of the listeners knew, remember exactly your first flight. Yeah. When I was a Piper Cherokee 140. <laughs> I was 12 years old. It was like a young Eagles flight. I'm friends with the pilot that flew me, you know, I'm lucky enough to still know him, you know, that's awesome. So, so what are some of the biggest challenges? I mean, so we're, we're doing nothing but spreading love on, on the, (laughs) it's not all easy. Yeah. No, the, um, well, like, like I told you earlier on, you know, we have to do the maintenance side of things. We're a long ways from everywhere. Um, there is a lot to do to keep these airplanes going. Um, safety stop priority. I'm in that airplane every day. I'm as picky as anybody, but I'm also the mechanic that works on them. So we know everything about what we work on and what we fly. Um, that was one of Roger's prerequisites. I should say, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was very passionate about the maintenance side of things and, and how that worked. Um, getting the seaplane base ready, because like we said in February, when the snow winds blowing 30 miles an hour and it's 10 below zero, um, we've got not a big motivator. <laughs> no, no. But in the spring, you know, we've got about 15 sections of dock that I got to put in and out every year. Um, it's one of those things in the fall, it's bittersweet. It's, it's the next seasons there and we're pulling them out and we've, we've got a little bit of a break through the winter, uh, in the spring, putting them in, you know, it's, it's about a week's work just getting to be able to fit an airplane, you know, or to be able to safely, uh, moor an airplane on our docks. Uh, every year, every a week in the spring, week in the fall. And in the spring, there's nothing like it. It's yeah. just the excitement. Uh, we do call the ice out on Moosehead Lake. Um, that's a big thing. Roger's done the last 30 years. Um, I've been privileged to be able to do it the last three. Um, and what, what that in, in consists of is, is flying over the lake, making sure that the, the ice is clear so fishermen can go out. Because years ago, we didn't have the social medias and the and the drones and everything to see it so um inland fisheries asked roger if he'd do it because they didn't want to waste <laughs> their time that, yeah. doing it so he was like yeah why not uh, so what he would do is he'd he'd fly every day he could and check the ice conditions and we get it's down to a science we can pretty much once you've done it enough you can fly and then you know you've got two days off and yeah. before you have to go back up again you can read the ice you can read the ice pretty when it starts good. coming over the top the water starts yeah. coming over the top and it's breaking up but uh, we, we, we do that. We fly that every spring. That's always a big event. We get a lot of phone calls. And uh, Sue has a list in her office of 
the businesses and because there's quite a few uh, pools and whatnot i think that go on through the town and the community uh, yeah. of when the ice is going to be out so we don't get involved with any of those but we we uh <laughs> because you're calling because it. <laughs> we're calling it so sue uh but sue makes a phone call and then usually the following day we now with facebook and in in these social media platforms we we put that out there so it's always a big a big event there's a there's a big one up in alaska and and god forbid i can't think of the name of this but there's a river up there just south of uh fairbanks and uh they put a tripod on top of the ice with a, a cable attached to the top and it's a it's a statewide uh pool that goes in yeah. to predict the minute the second the day and and it's big money and they yeah. they publish like a book four inches thick of, of all, all the, the predictions or, and yeah. yeah and and how many people and and it's unbelievable i mean it's a lot of money if someone wins that wow and it's like i said down I, to the i second. don't know what it is here i i do know i'm sure it's in thousands of dollars some of the yeah, pools here yeah, yeah. this is i, I want to say it's, it's over good. six figures I yeah mean, wow it's it's unbelievable so um you know maintenance you know i'm guessing in, in and again, kind of knowing this, but in the winter is a, a maintenance Big period. Maintenance. Yep, yeah. that's what we usually do during the winter. Um, we uh, so we operate two Cessna one ninety fives, De Havilland Beaver, and just, we have two Cessna one eighties. Um, so all of those get annual in the winter. That's when, when and you're the only pilot right now, right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So, so we've got six airplanes, <laughs> five airplanes, five airplanes. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, different missions. You know, the Beaver and the Cessna one eighty are the workhorse. Of the fleet, they're the the ones flying, you know, daily. Uh, the Cessna 195s are a specialty thing. Um, just parts are getting harder and harder to find, so we don't want to be putting two or three hundred hours on those every year. Um, plus, that's a lot of work for the pilot, if you, you, as you can attest to. So they're they're not the easiest plane to fly. They're great flying once they're in the air, but a little stressful getting out of the water, especially if you got With both legs and a load. And, um, and heat and, and heat. Yo, and that's we're at a thousand feet, and even a thousand feet, I can tell the difference. Oh yeah, people don't realize. I mean, just one thousand feet of elevation here, which is lake elevation, is is significant. Enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, then the heat. These these the one ninety fives are the probably the hottest plane I've flown in because they do have a big um, greenhouse canopy yeah. over the top. They've got a um, skylight window. Your forehead is getting your forehead's the sun. almost hitting it. <laughs> And you got five gallons of oil right off your knees in front of the pilot and co-pilot seat. So that's warm. <laughs> that's that's running pretty warm. It's about two hundred degrees. So um, yeah, like I said, Roger had come up with a field approval. He he hung the uh, oil coolers down underneath. That's why you'll see that that oil cooler hanging underneath. We're sitting in the hangar, so we can look at yeah, it. Yeah, we're here. looking. But it's right there. If you can see it, it's, be- it's between the the front struts uh, on the floats. Um, four inch uh excuse me five inch oil cooler hangs down there where originally in the 195s they were up between the cylinders but he just found they they, they wouldn't cool it's out enough. in the airflow here yeah, yeah yeah the only drawback to that is you can't open the cabin air with that there because your cabin air blocks yeah, it right there. so yeah. there's another reason it gets a little yeah, warm, a little bit toasty in there yeah. so. so cool stuff so what are some of the greatest memories you've been doing this for a couple of years now uh hundreds of flights if not thousands of flights um you've got some time under your belt um you know for me roger is 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 my fondest memory at this particular location and, and sue and the relationship we had and and again the the tremendous honor that 
this is one of those legendary pilots that I not only had a chance to to get to know, but also get to fly with. And I literally wouldn't, would never come here without going. I, I, to this day, I mean, we're here right yeah. now. I won't come to Greenville without coming to the base and checking in and spending some time here and always flew with Roger every time. And, um, and these amazing airplanes and, and just, again, this unique feel. What, what, what are your best memories or what are the things that stick out to you the most here? Well, de- definitely getting to learn and work with Roger for the, for, for the years I did um, will never be replaced. Um, you know, we're being able to be close to somebody like that, like you have and yeah. I've been able to is just, just great. One of those people in aviation I'll never be forgotten. Yeah. Um, probably my best memory of flying here was, was, geez, he, I think it was a couple of years after I'd been here. We had, we had one of the 195s and I don't, I can't remember exactly which one was in, but the other one we had run in the year prior. And I'm like, geez, we should put that one in too, Roger. Why, <laughs> you know, you can see where I'm going. I, I'd seen years ago, there's a picture here, both when he had them both operating, yeah. he had multiple pilots here. I'd seen a picture of the two one ninety fives in formation. And uh, I said, geez, wouldn't that just be something to, and you know, and he had been, um, he, he had, he was back on, he was on basic med at that point. He wasn't flying commercially, but he could fly, you know, himself. And uh, we went out, we got the plane flying and we got the second one in the water and there was a day there, and he's like, you want to go just go have some fun out in the 195s? He's like, which one do you want to take? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'll t-. And I, I think he took this one. He was in this one. I was in the, the Burgundy and Beige one. And, uh, yeah, we just, we just we drag raced out of West Cove side by side. Just and the fly like formation do in, with him. And then mm-hmm. we took off, and we went up to Kineo side by side, flew over, and uh, Sue was here. My wife was here. Sarah, Sue and Roger's daughter, was here. I think Sarah got a video of it. And, uh, yeah, we just flew in formation right over town. You know, two Cessna 195s flying. Does it get any better than it that? It does I mean. not get any better than that. It was just awesome to look out my, you know, I was his wingman. He was yeah. lead pilot, and I was. And to just see Roger there right. flying that the one ninety five, yeah. and and know, you know, I don't know if any, you know. So here's something: I don't know of anyone else that have flown two Cessna one ninety fives on float in formation. So yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, that's pretty amazing. So. And that airplane's funny because. It has uh, some unique uh, patches on the floats. <laughs> That's correct. So we have, um, it, was a, it was owned by a couple uh, gentlemen up in Northwest Territories, I believe. They had a disagreement. <laughs> so one of them decided to sink the airplane. Well, up, not a whole lot of tools to use up there. So he pulled his forty-five caliber pistol out of his holster and shot every every compartment, compartment. <laughs> so there's a little quarter size patch in every one of the compartments if you come here you can you look can see them because you'll see a big rivet there that's that's filled them so yeah. uh that's and, and you won't you won't know mistake which one has it because one of our uh, our signs telling about the airplane yeah. points it out so <laughs> yeah very colored history there so anyway, hey, it is an absolute joy. It, it's wonderful to sit down and reminisce. And, and again, uh, Roger, I'm going to get all choked up. I hope you're looking down on us and you're proud of us. And, and you're proud of Roger and Sue for carrying on your legacy and your tradition. And, and literally, uh, again, for those people that aren't familiar, Roger 
is such a part of this seaplane base that uh, he's even buried here, uh, which is very special. And so, Roger, we hope you're looking down. We hope you're proud of Roger because he's doing a great job uh, carrying on your legacy. And, and he's got Sue's support. And uh, it's alive and well. Uh, don't you worry. And uh, uh, we still feel you here. So uh, thanks so much for it. Again, it's been a long day. It was really important to get yeah, this done. Well, thank done. you for having me. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank so, you very much. So um, we hope you've uh, enjoyed this uh, very special episode at, at Courier's Flying Service with Roger Paradise. Uh, you can look uh, the service up at couriersflyingservice.com. So I encourage you to do that. There's some photos of the airplanes. It'll tell you where they go and how much it costs, and they can always accommodate a special requests if you want to do something really special. Um, it's an honor. I'm so glad we got to do this because it, it was a painful day. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed sitting down with us uh, and just have a little hangar chat uh, about 195s and Courier's Flying Service. Please uh, fly safe, fly often, tune in next time, and uh, tell your friends about us because we're, we're really trying to bring a lot of amazing content. See you guys. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show... I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.